When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Bob Osgood of Over the Monster for episode 267 of the show. Um, Bob, we are back after a little special Raphael Devers um, emergency podcast when Devers signed. Uh, we had, you know, four-man pod going that day. Um, but we're back to regularly scheduled programming today. Keaton couldn't be with us because he's on a business trip. Um, but Bob, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. And, you know, I hope people enjoyed that 45 minutes of optimism earlier this month, because that's all you're going to get. Yeah, that, that moment was very fleeting. Um, so, (laughs) uh, on today's show, as as Bob referenced, we're going to be talking about two things really at the top of the show, Trevor story missing, uh, more than half, if not all of 2023 with UCL surgery and, uh, what I consider to be a fairly embarrassing Bloom press conference, uh, Bloom and others, um, to, to celebrate the Devers thing. And the timing couldn't have been much worse uh, with that stuff. So let's get right into it here. Um, 
we got the news on January 10th that uh, Trevor Story had a procedure um, in his elbow. Uh, this is from Jen McCaffrey. The procedure is a less invasive version of Tommy John surgery that secures the UCL ligament to the elbow with a suture brace and is without uh, entirely replacing the, the ligament. Uh, it's a newer procedure generally done on p- pitchers and has required uh, a five to six month recovery since Story is not exerting as much force on his elbow regularly as a pitcher. The Sox are hopeful he can return sooner. Um, so that is the the description of the surgery. But then Heim Bloom came in and said uh, that this injury for uh, Story popped up while he was ramping up throwing in his offseason. Um, before Christmas, Story felt the pain in his elbow. Surgery was not something that they contemplated at the end of the season. And he says he doesn't want to put a timetable on it. Hopefully... Uh, he returns in 2023. Um, so when we, we found out about this, Bob, uh, it kind of came out of nowhere for me um, mm-hmm. because, you know, when we think about Trevor Story's season last year, we all know that his arm strength was down, um, but the defense was still really good at second base. Um, this was a concern before he signed with the team, but it really didn't seem like this was something that was going to need to be addressed. It kind of just seemed like, you know, they weren't super concerned about it. So how did you take the whole news and the timeline of this? Like, did it check out to you? Did this seem weird that they didn't address this right at the end of the season? Or did did you think that this was okay timing for everything? No, my first thought was, why is this coming out in January? And I guess it is possible. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to call anybody a liar. I'm sure he was ramping up going into the season, and, it, you know, he was in a lot more pain than he was last season. Um, at the same time, it's just part of me that is like, if he had any pain and this was an inevitable surgery at some point in the contract, that on September 1st, when they were clearly, despite for some reason kind of trying for 2022, on September 1st, when it was clear that they weren't going to make a run and they weren't going to make the playoffs and Story was already dealing with numerous other injuries, that maybe that was the time to get the surgery and whether that means you DH for the following season or part of the season, like Bryce Harper's kind of done. And I bring up Bryce Harper because he had the full Tommy John surgery in November and he's aiming for like a, you know, July 4th range return. So if Trevor story had surgery in January and it was less invasive and it's a four to six month time frame, it's strange to me how that quote from bloom that, you know, we hope he returns in 23 and you know, we're not ruling out a return. Wait a minute. You know, Harper's looking at eight months and, as a hitter, as you said, he's not not a pitcher. This is a, a lesser time frame, and it was a less invasive surgery. I would think that Story would be on that same second half of the season time frame, but Bloom's tone didn't really seem like that was the case. So, <clears throat> but again, just to back to the original point, you know, if you if you fast forward from September first, and it's even if it was a full Tommy John, and it was eight months, and you said that Story's going to be the DH in 2023, and to get this surgery done, and then return to the middle infield after that, um, 
But, you know, I'm like I said, I'm not accusing anybody of lying. It's just really the worst worst timing, I mean, other than pitchers and catchers or whenever that is, mid-February. I guess it could have been one month worse if they found out then. Yeah, I, I don't know what to make of this, really. It's it's kind of, um, there's a lot of ways you could go with it. Um, and, and one way that I like to think about this is that the Red Sox really thought that they were going to get something done with uh, Xander Bogarts. So maybe they were okay with uh, letting Trevor Story, if he did have pain at the end of the year, which it seems like he probably did, you know, letting him kind of rest and recover over the off season and see if that got better uh, when he did start to ramp up. Um, you know, they they must have felt okay about this elbow because, you know, we, we go back to the whole thing about them committing a contract to him um, in, in the first place. And this is the part of the whole Trevor Story thing that really bothers me. And it didn't bother me at the time. And the reason why it didn't bother me at the time when they signed Trevor Story initially was because I trusted Bloom <laughs> at that time. Um, you right. know, if, if you go back to that point in time, we had just come off a season in 2021 where the, the team certainly overachieved, felt like they arrived a year early, two wins away from going to the World Series. Um, and so when they signed him, albeit in late March, and you've made this point a lot of times on this podcast and other podcasts that we've been on together. Like, he was literally the only guy left. Mm -hmm. If they didn't sign Trevor Story, their offseason was going to be literally sitting on their hands doing nothing. So they sign him. Exactly. So they they sign him at the end, um, and we're just like, okay, well, I guess, you know, they, they like this guy. They're not worried about the elbow. And I remember getting questions about it from our listeners. How worried are you about the elbow, blah, 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 blah. And I was just like, come on. Heim Blooms, he's got to be smart enough to, to you know, have, have thought about this, to have addressed this. Uh, and Heim Bloom addressed this during the press conference that we're going to get to a little bit later. And he was like, yeah, we did thorough imaging. Nothing popped up. But then, like, I started doing more research on it because at the time I wasn't so um, – I wasn't investigating it as much as I probably should. I was kind of just trusting the front office. But then I looked up an article and I I found an article on Odyssey, um, the sports radio, of an interview that Buster only gave. Um, and this quote was from March eleventh, 2022, so uh, nine days before Trevor Story signed. And it says, when it comes to Trevor Story, there are some teams wondering, uh, does the elbow issue we had from last year that seemingly affected his throwing, is that someone who's going to need Tommy John? Only said, I know he's been throwing a ton. He's trying to get in better position uh, to perhaps be in a spot where he could land someplace. He talks about the Dodgers being involved because they were going to lose uh, Trey Turner. And then he goes on to say that Story is uh, only entering his age 29 season. At his best, he can hit north of 290 and 30 home runs, but his numbers plummeted the last season. Um, talking about the poor season that he had before he signed with the Red Sox. Um, but basically just that, you know, and Buster only said this again after uh, Trevor Story had this surgery, that teams were scared off. There was a There was a real reason why Trevor Story was still available on March 19th of that year. It's because this was a huge issue. Um, and it feels like this is a textbook case of what 
Dan and Brian have talked about here with Heimblum just hunting value. You know, probably if Trevor Story is fully healthy and doesn't have any elbow issues, he probably gets 160 million, 180 million, maybe close to 200 million from a team that views him as an elite shortstop at that position going forward who can club 30 home runs. So I think the Red Sox probably viewed this as we're getting a discount on this guy. And I, I think they looked past a whole lot of red flags. Yeah. Um, you know what I think is the craziest thing, you know, and I agree with everything you said there, but you look at the arm strength and how it was deteriorating. If you look at his Savant page in 2020, his throws were 82.3 miles per hour on average. In 2021, it was 79.1. So already that should have been a red flag, but whatever. Right. They're going to play him at second base. And then this past season, it's 76.1 miles per hour. So it's down three miles per hour again after the same thing the year before. So first of all, that makes me think that maybe that would have been a good time for him to get surgery, and he probably was in pain last season. And secondly, I can't believe they were ever considering playing him at shortstop. You know, he was in the bottom 10 percentile of arm strength at second base last season, and they were considering playing him at shortstop as a backup plan. That would have been a disaster. Yeah, I I think that's the craziest out of all of this. It didn't make any sense, and I think that the the weird thing about it was that um, before the news came out that he was going to get the surgery and that he did get the surgery, anytime Bloom would be asked about this or talk about it, he'd be insistent that, like, Hey, come on! He's got great range. Doesn't matter if he's lost a little bit on his on his throws. Like he's fully c- committing and planning to be there, which was and true fact, at second base, right? But the the whole thing about this this thing it just it just solidifies to me that Bloom did bring in uh, Trevor Story to be the the Xander Bogarts insurance, and I think that he probably liked um, Trevor Story. The idea of a healthy Trevor Story being a, a better replacement for Xander, who I think he was pretty skeptical skeptical about Xander's defense, and you know, Story is a very athletic guy. I'm not going to take that away from him. If he's fully healthy, he probably is a better defensive shortstop than Xander Bogarts. But again, I mean, this is just another case I think of the Red Sox and and Heim Bloom not valuing their homegrown guys, known quantities. I mean, one of the things we always talked about with uh, Xander Bogarts was how durable he was, how he takes the field every single day. Um, Those things matter, and and it is kind of crazy. Like you said, that they were even kind of um, stringing us along with this idea that somehow Trevor Story, with this noodle arm that he has, was going to be able to move over a shortstop and be successful because there's been a lot of other guys talking about this um, and being like, that just it's not going to work. We've seen his arm. So in referencing everything that you just said. So I, I don't know. This whole thing just kind of stinks, and I, I kind of feel like an idiot for trusting the team at the time and not, um, not taking this more seriously. Um, yeah than I did when, when he signed. Cause I was not very critical of, of the Trevor story signing. I was kind of still in the mode of, you know, in, in bloom, we trust here. Um, yeah. and obviously the last well, year has, uh, has done a lot 
yeah, to that. Yeah, it's not like you had access to, you know, any of the imaging or physical or anything like that. I mean, like you said, it, was, it wasn't... Um, you know, a time where we were totally questioning Bloom. And in addition to that, it was kind of a sigh of relief where it was like, oh man, that was, that was a close call. At least they got Trevor Story and it was kind of a relief. And then you looked at the lineup on paper and the team on paper and, you know, you could see a similar result from the year before, before uh, a whole lot of other things happened. Yeah. It's not a good situation for this team. Um, and in addition to kind of not knowing how Trevor Story is going to be when he comes back from this and when he's going to come back and whether or not he's going to have any impact on this team, you know, in, in 2023, certainly not knowing about whatever positive impact he could have. If we look just at what he produced on the field last year in his first year with, with Boston, it wasn't very good. I mean, 94 games were the fewest games he's played uh, in his career, you know, outside of obviously the shortened season in 2020 and his K rate went way, way up. We've talked about this before on the podcast, but I think it's worth reiterating, you know, from his time in Colorado, he, when he was really good, when he was having his best seasons, he posted K rates around 23 to 25%. Last year jumped all the way up to 30.8%. Lowest ISO of his career last year, um, only hit 238, 303, 434 with 100 WRC+. Plus. Uh, that's league average. I mean, this guy is nowhere close um, to Xander Bogarts' offensive production. So even if this was the plan from, from Heimblum to have him you know, slide over, be a better defender, and be some approximation of what Xander can do with the bat... He's not. He's not even close in terms of the skill set with the bat. And, you know, I'm concerned that as he ages, he he comes into his age 30 season and and beyond, which the Red Sox have him for, that the bat-to-ball skills are going to decline. He's going to lose some bat speed. This could end up being a really, really, really bad contract for the Red Sox. It could. I, I, if he had entered the season seemingly healthy and we didn't know about this I was willing to kind of put last year you know signing late on a new team um what did he have a child right before the season started and then he had food poisoning and then it was you know a wrist injury and then so there was like six different things that happened um and you know you include you know an injury to the wrist and I think that he tried to come back and then he got hurt again and it was just such a choppy year and it felt like a lot of it was fluky and I was willing to give him a pass for a couple of those things you know low OBP low average higher K rate as he still hit 16 homers he still stole 13 bases in 94 games and I was kind of willing to look at that optimistically as a lot of times you know players are trying to live up to a contract in a new city Um, obviously that's tough to do right now with him being out at least half the season um, but I do think if he gets things taken care of here that he can still salvage the majority of the contract, but it certainly, you know, I see your point as well as that K rate was not even close to anything he had done the four years prior. Yeah, it's a little scary. Um, and as, as we've talked about before, not everybody can play in Boston. So I don't know if, if it, it's going to work out here for him. I hope it does. I hope he comes back healthy and regains 
all that velo on his arm and he's able to you know move around and play shortstop and do all those things and get to his power which i mean he still hit 16 home runs last year in 94 games so the power was still decent um while he was here so there there's hope here but the thing that i can't stop thinking about is like they offered xander 90 million right in the spring that is such an insult when you think about that when when you're comparing that to what story getting especially that coming off the heels of the spear article that reported that xander's camp would have been interested in a deal close to what trevor story landed with the red sox thinking that the red sox truly valued and it seems like they did truly valued trevor story more than they valued Xander Bogarts. It, that's gross. Yeah, and not to reiterate from our last podcast, but you know, you just sign Bogarts for or offer something that's about a dollar more than what you offered Story, and whatever Devers would have been two years in advance for an extension before the market got crazy, and you might have had both of these players for close to what you signed Devers for. So yeah, just a really miscalculated everything a year ago. Yeah, it's not good. The only thing I'm looking forward to, though, if this contract does really go south, is the uh, headlines about his contract called Neverending Story. I think that's going to be a really good pun. Yes, we'll put you in charge of that. <laughs> All right. Well, um, speaking of how the hell the Red Sox are going to replace this, uh, you wrote an article uh, this week on Over the Monster, which you know got a... A whole lot of traffic, a tremendous amount of people weighed in on this, 187 comments, so uh, definitely a lot of people interested in this. But you kind of put a bunch of options as to what the Red Sox could do here um, in in tiers, um, tier one, tier two, all the way down, um, and talked about all the options available to them. And, you know, not limited to just signing guys at at shortstop and second base, because clearly they're going to have to get creative here if they want to improve the team at this juncture with so many guys signed. So would you walk us through that and kind of what your thought process was uh, going into this article and what what some of those options might be? Yeah, so, you know, we've looked at some of the free agent options and, you know, I kind of open it up by saying, you know, how did we get here and how much of a disaster? And that, you know, karma was a bitch in this situation with, what you just talked about with Bogarts and Story, but, you know, outside of the free agents, let's look at some other rosters and see some middle infielders that might be available. You know, one man's trash, another man's treasure, and a lot of this might appear to be that, but there was, um, what we're going to talk about later, there's a catcher that they're bringing in that is kind of similar in a scenario to a lot of these players here. You know, you're you're 15, 16 million short of the competitive balance tax. They're probably not going to go over after they did last year to support this roster. So where can you go with affordable contracts? And in that top tier, there's Brian Reynolds, there's Jared Kellenick, um, and Alec Thomas from Arizona. <clears throat> Kellenick from Seattle, Reynolds from Pittsburgh. And that was kind of in that top tier that I just said was probably unattainable, especially with Reynolds, you know, looking for three, four top prospects. At this point, it doesn't seem like this would be the time with this roster um, to go after Brian Reynolds with three years remaining if the first year could be a waste. I don't know. Maybe I'm sure they'll at least inquire on that. Uh, Kellenick being, you know, maybe a, a buy low after he hit 141 and got sent down multiple times last year. 
um, and Alec Thomas in Arizona, where they continue to have a logjam. Um, you know, even after uh, trading Dalton Varshow, they have kind of five, six outfielders that you can see getting playing time there. Um, so I guess kind of before I get into that second tier, do you, Jake, think that any of those names are a possibility, or do you think that ship has sailed now that, um, you know, this season is kind of looking a bit more grim than we thought? No, I, I absolutely do. And the guy who I gravitated towards out of that list of tier one was definitely Alec Thomas. And we've talked about him on, on previous podcasts, but I think that it's worth talking about him again because, as you said, looking at Arizona's uh, projected situation in the outfield, Corbin Carroll in center, he might end up in left at some point, but Lourdes Goriel is there, um, Jake McCarthy, they have Kyle Lewis there as well. So it's, it's really clear to me at this point that he's not going to start on that team. And I, I didn't even mention um, the right fielder there, Jake McCarthy either. So Or maybe I did. I don't know. But <laughs> they're loaded. Um, they're loaded in the outfield. And, and Alec Thomas is a guy who can play center field. So I do think there's absolutely a deal that can be had there. Um, and I also think that one of the things that uh, benefits the Red Sox is that there is some familiarity there, um, being that you know so much of the Arizona Diamondbacks brain trusts are former Red Sox guys as well. So I think that they can get something done uh, for Alec Thomas, and that's the name I'd target. I'd actually I'd much rather have him than Jared Kelnick, and I don't think that um, Seattle particularly wants to sell low on him at this point because they'd be taking a huge bath. Um, and I really think that uh, the the idea with Brian Reynolds, I mean, it's just not going to happen. They're asking for the moon, and the Red Sox with this roster are not in a position to give that. But I think there's something reasonable uh, to be found for Alec Thomas. Exactly. Um, and, you know, I had written a whole other article just specifically about Arizona, and that was before Varsho was traded. So it's a bit less likely now, but, you know, his plus speed, plus defense, and yeah, I don't know how much he's going to play there, and I feel like he would play a ton in Boston, and he was a top 30, 25 prospect on a lot of lists, including Baseball America, entering 2022. So, um, you know, he might be more more valuable to Boston. I think the offer, I, I said Tanner Houck, Brian Mata, and Edinson Paulino would be my offer. Um, some people thought that was a little too much, but I think to get an outfielder that has you know that many tools that that they would need to throw something in in addition to Hulk, especially when you hear that you know for Hassan Kim um, in San Diego they're looking for Hulk plus you know three prospects or something. I I would prefer Alec Thomas uh, in the long term, especially with how much control he would have left. Yeah, I wonder if um, and I like that package there going back, but I wonder if you swapped Paulino at this point for a guy like Jaron Duran, who's a clear. Uh, change sure. of scenery guy, um, yep. but major league ready at this point, or at least in the upper minors. You know, he's got some things to work on, but um, with their outfield situation, they obviously don't need to rush him along. So it seems like, at least, that the preference across baseball uh, recently has been to avoid those low minors guys and to have a preference for the high minors guys. It's just something we've seen recently. So you know, I, I think that a package of Duran, Houck, and uh, who was the other guy you said? Mata. Mata. That that makes a ton of sense for Arizona. Yeah. So, get it done. 
I'm with you. Let's let's go with that. And that's the only one in tier one that I really could see um, with any possibility of happening. And then as we got into tier two, which was, you know, interesting and attainable, interesting, you know, on a sliding scale, we put Hassan Kim at the, at the top there, has three years and 21 million remaining. And I know that they've probably been in talks um, with San Diego about that. Tony Kemp with Oakland is somebody who has a 330 career OBP, has some experience hitting leadoff, has some speed, has played good defense both at second base. Um, you know, he can play the outfield as well. Um, but, you know, he was plus five outs above average at second base last year. And he has one year and three million remaining. That was a name that from that tier I thought might be a bit more attainable on a trade with Oakland. Um Joey Wendell and John Birdie are names um, in Miami. Uh, Wendell with one arbitration year remaining. Birdie with three, although he's a little bit older. I think he might be like 32 years old, but he stole 41 bases in 102 games last year. Um, And both of them have a positive uh, defensive metrics. Uh, Jorge Mateo, another one who was plus 11 outs above average with Baltimore, uh, albeit with a terrible 267 OBP. But if you take the defense and you take um, his 13 home runs and 35 steals, he can bring a lot to the table while not getting on base a whole lot, so he wouldn't be much of a, a, a leadoff candidate like some of the other names. And then the last one I threw in there was Paul DeYoung, which he hit 157 and didn't hit much better the year before, but you know, you'd have to imagine St. Louis is willing to just give him away with $9 million remaining on his one year. So uh, that might be a, you know, try to find somebody who has hit 30 home runs and and has some pop in his bat, see if there's something there. But I'd put him at the bottom of the list. I don't know if anyone um, is of interest to you there, Jay. Yeah, so, I mean, this was an interesting list. I know that the name that's come up a lot has been Joey Wendell, but at this point with dealing Miguel Rojas, I don't think that that's particularly on their radar, Um, that being the Marlins at this point. Um, But I love the top two. Uh, Hassan Kim and Tony Kemp. If you can get something done reasonably and centered around um, Tanner Houck with uh, San Diego, and I know that they were asking for three other guys to go along with that, and I don't know what those three guys are. I mean, if it's like Duran, Dahlbeck, and, and Mata, like, sure, have them. Okay, fine. Um, right. But, you know, I don't know what they're offer are asking for, and I think that um, Hassan Kim could get kind of expensive. So that one just feels a little bit unrealistic to me, but I love the idea of Tony Kemp because he's a lefty bat, just like uh, Joey Wendell, and that's something that Bloom has talked about wanting to add. He also makes a ton of contact. Um, he's a guy who only strikes out 12% of the time, walks a good amount, um, has some speed on the base paths, He's going to give you professional, good quality at bats. Um, and he's a veteran, like you said. I mean, he's about to become a free agent. He's 31 years old. I, I think that he'd be a great fit uh, for this team, and I don't think he would cost a lot. And with the way that uh, Oakland in particular has been viewing those upper minors uh, guys who are a little bit fringy, I think you could probably get them for you know, something that's not really going to impact the team long term. So I think that Tony Kemp is an excellent option. I really don't want anything to do with the rest of the names uh, on that list, especially the the speed, no OBP guys uh, that that you mentioned. Um, 
it's just not something that this lineup really needs at this point. I think we need more contact. I could see, um, you know, with with Kemp and so you make a trade there and then maybe Elvis Andrus who played in Oakland with Kemp. I mean, I don't know yeah, what kind of double plays they were turning there, but, uh, you know, those are both kind of low K percentage um, and Andrus kind of showed something, some more renewed power earlier this year or last year. Yeah, we'll, br- we'll bring back the uh, contact, the uh, small ball with the, those two guys. Listen, we have to think outside the box at this point. <laughs> Yeah, when it's January 16th, you have to. All right, um, here's where it gets ugly. Um, okay. The attainable yet uninteresting. So I added from Kansas City, Nicky Lopez, Adalberto Mondesi, and Michael A. Taylor uh, and said, you know, do you have anyone in your roster with defense, speed, and absolutely no pop? And it appears they have three. So you would think that Kansas City would be fine getting rid of at least one of those bats, but, you know. Would that be of interest? Lopez had great defensive metrics last year, but hit 227. Uh, Orlando Arcia in Atlanta has, you know, 1 million, so maybe he's a, a backup middle infielder. Um, Dylan Moore in Seattle, because he can be plugged in anywhere and played, you know, double digit games at right field, shortstop, left field, second base, filled in at first, center, and third, played seven different positions last year. Uh, and had a 368 OBP uh, in short at bats, but he does he walks a good amount. And then the last one was Kyle Farmer in Minnesota. I only threw that name in because he was traded um, before Carlos Correa went back to Minnesota, and I would imagine Farmer was the um, you know expected to play more until Correa ended up going back there. So maybe they would be willing to to move him. But you know 255 average, just a little bit of pop, and just an average defensive player. So. Anyone there as a, a last resort? With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, there's three guys, and I'll rank them in terms of preference. Um, I would say Michael Taylor is probably the guy who I'd be most interested in just because. Um, He's an excellent center fielder. I mean, he's just, he's really, really solid. And I think that if you're going to move Kike to the infield, which is something that I'm totally okay with, because if you remember back to um, 2021, Kike hit like to a a 135, 140 WRC plus uh, when he was playing on the dirt. So I think that Kike is really uh, comfortable there, and if you can have a guy like Michael A. Taylor holding down center field and get that kind of offensive pop um, out of Kike, I think that's great. 
Um, next would be Dylan Moore for me. I love the athleticism that Dylan Moore brings and the fact that he can play all over the diamond uh, effectively. Uh, that's a really good option. And then third, I think, would be Orlando Arcia because he has been good at different times. Um, he's still relatively young. I think there's something in there. I don't really want anything to do with the Mondesi Lopez uh, infielders um, from from KC. And Kyle Farmer is just like the most blah uh, type guy that there is. I mean, is there a more boring player in baseball than Kyle freaking Farmer? No. No, that's why he was at the very, very bottom of this article. Uh, <laughs> but no, that's a good point about Taylor, and thanks for pointing that out, that I did add some outfielders in there because that would be with the, um, you know, Kike moving into the infield, whether that be second base or shortstop, and maybe assign someone at the other position. Um, you know, Kike has experience at both those spots. I do, in an ideal world, like him more in center field, but I think he plays... Um, a decent infield and if you can find somebody that can patrol uh, you know the large outfield at Fenway um, you know as long as it is a, a very good defensive center fielder then I'd be okay with moving him into the infield again yeah as long as it's not Jaron Duran that didn't that didn't go well last no. year willing to give him one more chance but that was uh I don't know he, that made uh, he wasn't the... ready that play, the one where he just looked at the ball, that yeah. one made uh, Sports Center's not top ten for the entire year of twenty twenty two. Jeez, where was um, where was the lateral for the Patriots against the Raiders? Because that must have been ahead of uh, that. I don't know exactly like what the order was, but yes, both of those plays did make the not top ten for the entire year. So yeah. yes, it's been a it's been a really great year to be a Red Sox <laughs> and Patriots fan. Thank you, my mental health is great. Um, all right, let's move on to this press press conference here. Um, so this was Bloom. This was Tom Werner making an appearance for, you know, the first time in like three years. He was in witness protection. I don't even know. Um, but everybody was there except for John Henry, who apparently has better stuff to do uh, than deal with, uh, you know, being seen in public. Um, because last time he was, he didn't speak and he got booed. Um so yeah, he stayed away, and yep. I'm I'm kind of thinking that Tom Warner wishes he stayed away as well, um, but he didn't. He was there, um, and this press conference should have been celebratory. This was uh, bringing Devers in, finally locking up one of their their core guys after letting Mookie and Xander walk, um, or you know, trading Mookie for nothing essentially, except Verdugo. Sorry, dude, Dougie, but uh, yeah. Never mind. We're not going to relitigate that. Anyhow, this should have been celebratory, but uh, unfortunately for the Red Sox, the news of uh, Trevor Story broke the day before, so they had to field questions about that. Um, you know, this my problem is not that they had this press conference. You sign a guy for $300 bucks plus, you have a press conference. You celebrate. You pat yourself on the back. That's great. Um but what I did have a problem with, and I know some people like this, and I actually do think Bloom was coming from a place of wanting to do something that he thought was good here. Um, but he had this uh, closing statement here that was unsolicited to the Red Sox fans. And I have a transcript of it here, um, courtesy of 
GF Star One uh, Gabrielle. She's a great Red Sox account, but she transcribed this from from his press conference. So I'm going to read it here. Uh, and Bob, I know this is probably your first time hearing this, um, so I'm going to get your reactions to it. He says, "Loving your favorite team has great moments. It's not always easy, and I know we've had some ups and downs, certainly in the last few years. And I know y'all are smart." And you knew there would be ups and downs with where we stood and some of the things that we were going to have to go through. And you've been with us the whole way. When we've celebrated, you've celebrated with us. When we've hurt, you hurt. And we know that and we feel it. So I'm hoping today when you think about what we always talk about and what where we're going and this vision of the Red Sox organization that every year is consistently contending for championships, I'm hoping that vision is a little clearer for you today, knowing that this guy's going to be right in the middle of it. Uh, you know what we're going to do, you know what we're going to do around him, and I don't want to get into names because I don't want to forget anybody, but you know who we have here. The players that have joined us through free agency, players we've acquired, whether it's through trade, Rule 5, and the players we've grown, that this staff here has grown. Um, you know who we have. You know there's more coming. In that, uh, It's not always linear. It's not always easy. We've taken a couple of haymakers, but you know what? We're probably going to take a few more. Uh, this is baseball. It's not supposed to be easy. But I want to be clear, we're going to do this, and it's going to be awesome. We're going to get there. And I just want to thank all of you for your support, and I hope it's a little clearer today. All right. Can we, when, when, when you post this, can we put, like, some piano music in the background dubbed <laughs> over you talking the entire time while yes. everyone sheds a tear? <laughs> that would be appropriate. Um, so... First of all, let's break this down a little bit. Um, the the when we hurt, you hurt, and we know that, and we feel it. Thing was just so corny. It was just like, have you ever walked around in Boston and like gotten the the, the sense of the the people <laughs> in this right. city, like? Bob, de describe your interactions when you walk around the city of Boston with with people, and like why this doesn't resonate. Oh well, I mean, if I said something like that <laughs> downtown, uh, talking about the Red Sox, I'd be cursed out. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I feel like he just does not have a, a connection with one, as you said, how people talk to each other here, but two, just like no one's looking for that sappy bullshit. They're just looking for results. And at the end of the day, they're going to look at this team and say, yeah, that's great. That That's cool. And uh, this team still sucks. Like, what are you talking about? And I I know that you didn't... Um, I mentioned this earlier. And the there's a, a skit from the early 90s in Saturday Night Live, and I'm pulling up the, uh, the transcript where Chris Farley's interviewing Paul McCartney and asking him all these questions. And one of the questions says, you know, remember when... When you were with the Beatles, McCartney says, yeah, yeah, that was awesome. And he's just like this, um, you know, over-the-top fan who's like in over his head and doesn't know what to say, but it's just like, you know what, it's going to be awesome when it happens. And I don't know. I don't know, Haim, if you're going to be here when it happens. 
No, I don't think he is going to be here uh, when it happens. And the second paragraph of this, tra- well, the the second big paragraph of this transcript talks a lot about like what they've done and hoping that the vision of this team is clearer and uh, that, you know, you look at this roster now, essentially, is what he's trying to say, and that it's clear that we're going to be consistently uh, competing for championships. And, like, yes, it's true that it's good that, you know, Rafael Devers is going to be here in the middle of this lineup um, for the next 10 years. That's that's really good. Um, but what every Bostonian who follows this team like they do religion um, is thinking is it's about fucking time. You signed one of these three guys in like you, you do not get to sit there and pat yourself on the back for doing the obvious right thing to do with this team. Like the option, the only other option was continuing down the path of letting all of your best players go and having literally one of the least interesting rosters in all of baseball in one of the most baseball crazy cities in the entire country. You know, like the option was essentially franchise suicide and you chose not destroying everything. So like, yes, pat on the back, bud. But uh, we're looking at this roster, and we've got Masataka Yoshida from Japan, who could be great, but could be average. We got Kike, who was hurt all last year and is an average offensive player. We got a 38-year-old Justin Turner, who we're hoping on. We got Verdugo, who's like average. We got Casas, who's trying to figure it out. And we've got no friggin' shortstop or second baseman other than Christian Arroyo. Like... We got Duran in the center field, and we got Reese McGuire behind the plate. No, I'm sorry, Bloom. It's not obvious what this this next uh, championship is going to look like right now. We've got in the rotation Chris Sale, who's, I mean, what's going to happen to him this year? Is he going to get trampled by an elephant? I don't know. Like, Corey Kluber, is that guy going to hold up? He's 37, and he's got a million innings on his arm, and he, you know... Used a lot of bullets last year. We got Pavetta, who sucks. I mean, he's a, he's a great guy if you want to go mop up 180 innings a year at an average level. We got James Paxton, who who the hell knows. And we get Garrett Whitlock, who was a friggin' reliever, who was going to try and, you know, I love the guy. I love the three-pitch mix. But are, are we seriously thinking about Garrett Whitlock as, like, a top three pitcher? Um, and then we got Bayo, who's... Awesome. We love Bayo, and we're like, okay, we're dreaming on this kid. We saw him working out with Pedro. Hopefully that works out. But at the end of the day, like, no bloom. I'm sorry. There's nothing clear about this. Nothing clear about this. And the whole thing about, like, it's going to be awesome? Like, what What the fuck do you think is going to be awesome? You literally just signed a guy who we all wanted you to sign last year, and all we can think about is the fact that you left Xander Bogarts go, and now we have no shortstop and no second baseman because of your idiotic signing of a guy whose elbow was already hurt when he got here. You don't think I, it's awesome that they finished last place last year and have a worse team on paper this year? No, no, I don't, and I don't think it's Something awesome that wrong he with you then. <laughs> finished last place two out of the last three seasons. So sorry, no, I don't think it's awesome and clear to me that Xander Bogarts is gone and and Betts is gone, and that you want. A high five for 
Signing Devers. Great job, bud. Yeah, yeah. I'm happy. But the day before, you lost your shortstop, who wasn't really a shortstop. So I'm sorry if that rant was too much, but the whole thing just fired me up about it's going to be awesome and it's clear what we're going to do. No, it's not. I'm sorry. This roster is an absolute mess. The, the tone of it was weird. Like we, we did it. We did the right thing for once. Right. That's what they were celebrating. It's like... Yeah, I don't even know. I'm not. I'm not going to go into crazy comparisons here, but it's just. It's like uh, I think that was getting good. yelled at by your parents, you know, to like take out the trash when you were a kid, and it's spo- something you're supposed to do every day, and you do it once, and you're like, "Hey, Dad, look, I took out the trash," and your dad's like, "Yeah, I've been telling you to take out the trash every friggin' day." Like, sorry, you don't. You don't get props. You're just doing what you're supposed to do. Right. You're the Red Sox. Should have done it a year ago. Yeah. We said that then, and we outlined what it would have cost and what still would have been available down the line with all your one- and two-year deals. You had plenty of flexibility to, to you know, do the couple of arbitration seasons and then start the what probably would have only taken maybe eight years, and now it was at least ten once they got to that point. Yep. You're all it's right? Not- not great. Yeah, I'm just hydrating. I no. uh, I got a little, uh, little little heated. This team's been ver- very bad for my health lately. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, moving on. Do you have anything uh, that you want to add to this before we move on from the press conference? Um, if John Henry went down and visited Devers and offered him $300 million in person to show that they were serious that kind of started the dialogue um i gotta say something positive about john henry if he did that because yeah we haven't seen him in three years and uh we say a lot of negative things about him here and he was not available he had bigger and better things to do during the press conference last week but um you know if he went there in person and showed how serious they were about making a legitimate market value offer uh, then I give John Henry credit for one thing. Yeah, I, I think that's fair too. And um, Ian Brown reported on this. Um, he said it was Red Sox owner John Henry, Sam Kennedy was there, Bloom, uh, Eddie Romero, all flew down to the Dominican Republic and met with Devers on December 14th. So that was huge that he stepped up and, and got that done. Um, so... You're right. We shouldn't we shouldn't completely drag Henry through the mud for that. And we can keep doing that starting next week. <laughs> yeah. It's plenty of time. Um all right, so speaking of the catching situation, um Alex Beer reported today that the Red Sox have signed catcher Jorge Alfaro to a minor league deal with two million dollars in salary if on the roster, um, and opt outs on six one and seven one. Uh, he posted a 246, 285, 383 line in 82 games for the Padres last year. Uh, and then I have a follow-up tweet from Ian Cundell talking a little bit about what uh, type of player Jorge Alfaro is. Um, he says that last year in San Diego, you know, he talks about the slash line and what he did. Uh, hits the ball hard, but a lot of Ks. Rarely walks on defense, elite arm strength and pop times, but a below average framer. Um, so overall, this is a guy whose game I haven't been a huge fan of, 
But I do think that this is a pretty much no-risk move for the Red Sox at a position where they definitely need to add. Yeah, I, and, you know, you hit on most of this, the the plate discipline, 4% walk, 36% K a year ago is pretty pathetic. But, um, you know, I, I watch a decent amount of Padres games as kind of my West Coast team um, after the Red Sox are over and listen to Don Arcillo and, you know, I'm sure I'll watch even more games this year with Bogarts there. But he seemed to get a lot of, of big hits and he was kind of in the mix in a lot of the games that I watched last year. And I was looking at his stack cast. And if you bring the minimum down to 150 balls in play, uh, he was in the top 30% in barrels um, and exit velocity, top third of the league. And then for... If you just look at line drives and fly balls, his exit velocity was 95.2 miles an hour, which was 55th out of 334 hitters, so about the top 15% in the league. Um, So when he puts in play, hits the ball hard. Um, And I just think that these are the kind of, it's not high risk, but just kind of high reward, um, you know, looking for ceiling type of moves that they need to make, especially with the catchers they have are far from a sure thing. And it wouldn't shock me if, would you say he played 82 games last year? Yeah, 82 games, half the games. Would not shock me if he played 82 games here this year. You know, um, I think, you know, Wong has an option. I know that that Alfaro has some opt-outs in June and July. So maybe Wong starts with the big league team, and if it isn't going well, he gets sent down. But I think that they're going to give him a shot at some point having – you know, plenty of major league experience. And then you've got, you know, you mentioned the pop time. He was tied for second, um, 1.89 pop time to second base last year. So he's got a cannon as well, uh, or he's quick. He's quick and he's got a good arm. Um, so I think that there's, I, I don't know. I, yeah, there's there's plate discipline. He's going to strike out a ton. Um, but I think that, that he will be involved this season. Yeah, I think so too. And um, this is a guy who's real tooled up. I mean, I remember when he was a prospect, he was very highly touted um, coming up. And, you know, some of those plate things didn't ever iron out. But, man, what stands out to me, looking at the pictures of him with the Padres last year, this dude is absolutely yoked. He's yeah. built like a brick house. If If baseball does not work out, world's strongest man is on its way. This dude is huge. He's got like a uh, Josh Naylor vibe to him. <laughs> yeah. I just remember a couple of walk-offs that he was losing his mind over there. So, you know, he <laughs> seems like a decent clubhouse guy from, you know, my eye test at 1 in the morning. Yeah, so it, you think it's Wong that's going to stand to lose from this whole thing, though? Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm looking at, you know, Maguire hitting left-handed, Alfaro hitting right-handed. But even, like, if it's the two of them, um, Maguire's career OBP is 301, and Alfaro's is 305, you know? I could see that being a a 50-50 split. Um, You know, obviously, Maguire puts the ball in play at a much higher rate. But, I mean, they both are... are, I feel like they all are, are decent defensive players. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Flip a coin. You know, whichever one is uh, doesn't work out will end up in the minors. Yeah, I think it's a good thing to have. Um, 
I do think that the Red Sox could certainly um, talk Connor Wong into AAA pretty easily. He seems like a really solid clubhouse guy and, you know, a young guy who's still trying to work on his craft and learn. So I don't think that by any means Connor Wong feels like he's uh, locked up this this uh, situation and will put a stink up if a, an established major leaguer like Jorge Alfaro wins the job out of camp over him. So right. I actually do think it's going to be uh, Alfaro and McGuire, like you said, to start the year with Connor Wong starting in AAA, and I'm totally fine with that. Okay, a couple other things. Arb settlements uh, for Verdugo, Pavetta, um, Arroyo, Brazier, and McGuire. Um, you know, nothing uh, too remarkable uh, to to hit on there, uh, aside from the fact that Brazier uh, got two million dollars, which is just you know continues to be remarkable to me but uh the 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 big one here is 6.3 million to Verdugo 5.35 to Pavetta um yeah not nothing <laughs> nothing too interesting there other than choosing to pay Brazier 2 million dollars i think the estimates were higher i think they Brazier at like 2.4 um so that ended up being less which doesn't make me feel any better about it which it was uh combined with a DFA but it is what it is. Um, yeah, I mean these are all reasonable numbers. You know, six three for Verdugo, five three for Pavetta. You know that that makes sense, especially with uh, how long they have been in the league. And uh, as you said, you know Pavetta will throw you. What was it one hundred and eighty shitty innings or something? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's worth sprinkle in some some decent games, um, yeah. but. By and large, you know what he's going to be. He's going to be like a 4.8 ERA by the end of the year because that's what he always is. Yeah, well, or worse. he stepped up two years ago. I'll give him that in some big moments, game 162 and some of the playoff games. So, um, you know, it, it, he was. they were talking about him as a potential all-star as late as June, and then he got lit up two or three times in a row. But, um, you know, when he's hot, you just got to ride him for a few starts because he actually can throw – seven eight nine innings in, in some cases and save the bullpen so i'm not as low on him as you are but i certainly see your point i i do not uh bear him any ill will he really just got caught in the crossfire of my uh going down right. the roster rank so yeah i was rolling um i actually do like um pavetta's stuff when he's on i Completely agree with you. He's one of those guys that when you see him when he's good, you're like, holy crap, this guy's like a top two pitcher on a staff. Um, but when he's bad, he's he's out of the game in an inning. So yeah, goes real wide, bad for him. Wide quickly. spectrum for sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and with Brazier, though, I just wanted to follow up on that. Um, if he didn't get tendered a contract from the Red Sox, what do you think he would make? Do you think he would get anything more than one of those minor league deals from a team? No. No, I think it'd be a camp invite. That's what I think too. Yeah. I I mean we we talked half half the show about that <laughs> <laughs> when it first happened. He had a five seventy eight ERA. And then the year before that he didn't really pitch. Um and he's thirty five. 
So yeah. no, I think he would have got a camp invite. Um, certainly wouldn't have gotten two million. Remarkable. Yep. Uh, a couple other notes: uh, Darwinson Hernandez was traded to the Orioles for cash to open up one of the two roster spots that they needed, uh, and the other one was Connor Siebold being DFA'd. Um, either of those guys a surprise to you being moved off the roster? Um, only because I th- never thought that Darwin's and Hernandez would be gone, and I thought I was going to have to watch him for 10 more years, walk the bases loaded, and say we're going to give him one more chance. <laughs> um, Seabold is unfortunate. I think it's just a roster crunch. I think that he, his stuff kind of diminished after some of his arm injuries. You know, I, I don't think he's ever going to be somebody that throws 150-plus innings in a season. Um, but, you know, he had 332 ERA at AAA last year, but every time he got called up, it seemed to be against an AL East opponent that was ready to, to feast on him, and his fastball velocity was just 92 miles an hour. And I just I don't think he has the secondary stuff to ever be an above average pitcher in the league which is too bad because i i was excited to see him but um you know you could kind of squint and see certain games that that his changeup was looking really good and that he might be able to be crafty enough to stick around and and he might somewhere on a bad team but um just he ended up kind of being a someone they had to sacrifice when the 40 man got tight he kind of reminded me of that um that vein of Red Sox pitching prospects from like five, six years ago. Those sure. guys who we we had. Um, maybe it's not even that that long ago. I'm thinking like um, as as recent as the 2020 season. Remember we had a string of these high minors arms who would come in and throw 90 to 92 with you know a, a decent location, but still get absolutely hammered. Thinking back to the the short season, especially we saw a number of these guys, but you know he just I blocked uh, that whole season out of my head. Actually, <laughs> kind of reminds me of that. But the, I guess I know the only I watched guy the games, I was, but I don't remember one thing that happened that entire season. Trauma, Except, trauma does that to people. Like at the end when Pavetta and Hauk came up and got a few starts late in the season, I remember thinking, ah, well, they might have something there, but I. I can't remember anything notable that happened in front of an empty stadium. Who was the guy who um, he got a non-roster invite to the Yankees last year and ended up actually throwing some innings for them? The guy who would come in and just get lit for like nine innings. He's, um, he was he was like a poor Weber? man's Brian Johnson. Brian Weber, that's it. Yes, thank you. I can't believe I got that. Yeah. <laughs> It was the getting lit for nine nine runs that uh Yeah, that was the only that, thing that that uh that steered me in the right direction. <laughs> yep, Ryan Weber. Seabold had real Ryan Weber vibes uh, when I Jeffrey saw him. Springs was on that team and now he's like a, a number 2 in Tampa. So of course he is. Yep. Tampa. All right, J2 signings. Uh this is how we're going to wrap up the show uh the January 15th uh opening i guess it's the opening of the january uh signings here um you know they're they're happening a lot of signings have been reported for the red Sox. um soxprospects.com has a whole 
running list of these with bonuses as they get reported. Uh, but Bob, who are some of the notable names that Red Sox fans have to look forward to here uh, to add to the pipeline? Yeah, the uh, the name that sticks out most is uh, Yoelene Cespedes, who is a shortstop from the Dominican Republic. They gave one point four million. He was right around twenty five to twenty seven, depending on whether you're looking at Pipeline um, or Baseball America. Uh, shortstop, five nine one seventy, and um, you know has some good exit velocity. It's really tough to find information on a lot of these players, but. Alex Spear had a, a great article that you can take a look at uh, at the Boston Globe. Ben Badler does some work. Um, so Suspendus is kind of the, the main name, and Spear mentions that it was uh, Manny Nanita who uh, brought in Raphael Devers 10 years ago. So that's interesting. Um, the other couple of names that got about a half million were Franklin Arias and Yoiber Ruiz. Both from Venezuela, approximately five hundred thousand for each of those. Um, all shortstops, all seventeen years old, which is my biggest takeaway: that they continue to just look for, um, you know, good athletes that are shortstops that can, uh, you know, that that can hit, um, that have a hit tool. And if you have a bunch of them, then it's a good problem to have, and hopefully they can move off the position to somewhere else. But it's. Really interesting after, you know, however many years in a row that they've taken a high school shortstop, either with the first pick or each of the first two picks, and then the top three uh, signees are all shortstops um, here in the, the J-15 class. And then the only other name that has been linked to Boston was uh, another Ruiz, Tony Ruiz from the Dominican Republic, an outfielder. Um, that was kind of reported to be close, but... According to Ben Badler, he is coming off of an injury um, and is still trying out and is not close at this point. So it seems like that was um, false that they were, were close or had signed um, Tony Ruiz as well. Well, nothing will make you feel old like looking at the birthdays of uh, these guys. Tony Ruiz was born the year that I graduated high school. So, yeah, yeah. Great. 2005, 2006, you know, a lot of these are 16 years old. Um, Claybear Salazar was another name, 16-year-old catcher out of Venezuela, who is the brother of John Frank Salazar, mm -hmm. uh, who is in the Red Sox system. So, yeah, you're talking about some 16-year-olds as well. I'm sure many of which were in the pipeline and being scouted as early as 12, 13 years old, which is a whole other story as I know that they were close to having an international draft last summer. And then that got, you know, kicked down the road for another year. Um, and we'll see if that ever ends up happening to get out of this kind of wonky process that they have in terms of international free agents. And, um, you know, I know that, that David Ortiz was very kind of vocal and, you know, if, we're, if they're going to do that, they should do it the right way. So hopefully that happens over the next year or so, um, that, that they can get to a point that both the owners and the players are comfortable with. Yeah, it'd be good. I think it would be better uh, for for everybody. I know there's a lot of arguments on both sides there, and I've read some interesting stuff, but it does seem like this uh, whole whole system is, is a little shady, um, you know, but... It's yep. uh, it's interesting to to get in on on these guys early because a lot of times these names um, 
do end up being some of the best players in in all of baseball. Um, and Red Sox might have one of those guys from last year's class in Miguel Blaise, so or two years ago's class at this point. Last year was headlined by uh, Fraley Encarnacion. But, um, you know, Cespedes is an interesting guy, really small, but can hit. So, And, and didn't I see in some of this stuff a, a Howie Kendrick comp here? Uh, from Jesse Sanchez, so that's kind of yes. interesting. From MLB.com, he said um, that he's been compared to a young Howie Kendrick. Yep, that was the name that was in there. And then I saw elsewhere that, that Devers had initially been compared to Daniel Murphy. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's hope that goes the same way. I mean, can uh, you imagine trying to comp somebody that's 15, 16 years old to anybody that's a major league player? I mean, what a impossible um task that would be but yeah and in suspetus it sounds like he they think it's more likely that he'll end up at second base or third base but really has you know raw power aggressive approach and i think that's a good point about blaze as well we're not going to know we're probably not going to talk about these players for a couple of years you know um to know like you know if there is the the potential for them to shoot up the system and you know best case scenario end up with an Acuna or a Soto. You really never know who is going to be uh, that type of player down the line when we're just talking about 16-year-old players. But Blaze, you know, on Sox prospect, he's up to their number three prospect there. Um, and then, you know, Luis Perales, who is a, a right-handed pitcher, um, is now in their top 10. And that's somebody that two, three years ago, I remember reading, you know, just the raw skills of him throwing 98, 99. But you know, needed a third pitch, um, you know, kind of raw skills as a 16-year-old, and now, you know, he's 19, and he's in their top 10, and he's another exciting name. So hopefully we're talking in two or three years in the, the same way with these players. Yeah, and the Red Sox have done a really good job on the international side of things, too, um, for, for years. So hopefully some of these guys work out, um, but definitely interesting. All right, well, that wraps up the show. Uh, we do hope that you guys uh, enjoyed it. Uh, as always, if you uh, enjoyed the show, please go on, rate, review us anywhere you're listening to the show. Um, if you want to send us questions, you can do so on Twitter. You can send questions to the Over the Monster account, at Over the Monster. Uh, you can follow us. You can follow Bob at, at BobOzgood15. You can follow me at, at devjake and uh, you can email us questions at redseatpodcast at gmail.com so thank you very much for listening and we'll be with you again next week